Breaking Bad premiered on January 20th, 2008 on AMC. Let's put 58 minutes on the clock. Pilot study with Chris and Grimes. They're talking all of your favorite shows. But only the pilot episode that means the first show. In case you didn't know. When you never know what show they're gonna talk about. But they're only gonna talk about the first one. And that's the premise behind Pilot Study. This is Pilot Study. My name is Chris Lantinen. I'm Grimes. And we are your hosts. And today we are joined by a very special guest. His name is Andrew Bloom. He is the head of the Andrew Blog over at theandrewblog.net. But he is also a writer for Consequence of Sound. Last season, he was the reviewer on staff for Game of Thrones. He also just wrote about the return of the great show, The Good Place. And he's also written a ton of pieces for them about The Simpsons, uh, some about King of the Hill, Archer, Rick and Morty, and many more for that popular culture site. So a big welcome to Andrew. Welcome. Thank you very much, guys. I, I don't know if I really qualify as a very special guest, but I, you I appreciate are, the welcome nonetheless. I'll tell you how special you are. You are our first ever like TV culture writer that we've had on the podcast. So I, Whoa, I would, okay. I would, I would consider not. that to be special guest territory for sure. Um, not to put any pressure on you. Not saying you're the... <laughs> You know, you're the first expert we've ever had on here, but you kind of are. Uh, but well, anyway, well, clearly this is the event that gives me a giant head and sets me down my path to eventual yes. uh, kingpin cruelty. <laughs> Someone in this podcast is going to remark that you have perhaps uh, broken bad, as they state in this episode. But uh, So today we're talking about a landmark program. Um, it is one that's celebrating its 10-year anniversary this month. I believe if they haven't already done it, they are going to do an AMC, uh, one of their straight through uh, marathons, and that is Breaking Bad. This is glass grade. And you got, Jesus, you got crystals in here two inches, three inches long. This is pure glass. You're a goddamn artist. This, this is art, Mr. White. Actually, it's just basic chemistry, but thank you, Jesse. I'm glad it's acceptable. Acceptable? You're the goddamn Iron Chef. So we're going to get a lot of Breaking Bad in the next 10 days. I hope you have chosen to make this part of your Breaking Bad anniversary celebration. Uh, But let's jump into some specs right away. So according to IMDb, the episode, which is titled Pilot, is described as followed. Diagnosed with terminal lung cancer, chemistry teacher Walter White teams up with his former student, Jesse Pinkman, to cook and sell crystal meth. The pilot is directed and written by Vince Gilligan, who had quite a few credits to his name before this, but his most famous of which was an extended stint on The X-Files as a writer, and I believe a director too. Um, John Toll, he is the director of photography, and this would actually be his only episode of Breaking Bad he would ever shoot. So I'm not quite sure what happened there. If mm. There was just a time gap and he was caught up with other things, but he never shot another episode, um, uh, which is quite interesting because I think visually this fits in well with everything else. Yeah. Um, music by Dave Porter, and this is a musician that would stay on the series for the long haul. He was involved in 62 episodes. We, of course, have Brian Cranston leading our cast as Walter White, Anna Gunn as Skylar White, Aaron Paul as Jesse Pinkman, Dean Norris as Hank Schrader, Betsy Brandt as Marie Schrader, and RJ Mitty as Walter White Jr. So I do, I want to get into some general history here, but I want to start with a question. So before they cast Brian Cranston as Walter White, they were looking at two people and two people who reportedly turned down this role so we could we could have had these shows. So I'm going to ask you guys, which mm. of these choices did you prefer of the two kind of casting what ifs? Andrew, are you a John Cusack guy or are you a Matthew Broderick guy? Oh man, I don't I don't know if I'm a, a Jackie or a Marilyn here. <laughs> well, I, I guess I would lean a little bit towards Matthew Broderick because mm-hmm. I think 
John Cusack has done more of uh, darkness in his roles at times, where I feel like Matthew Broderick's entire shtick has kind of been playing the uh, boyish, easy to like, mm-hmm. friendly sort of chipper guy, and he would be a believable starting point for somebody who you would completely buy as this kind of nevish, weak-willed person who then makes a turn that would surprise you, especially with yeah. his. A kind of dark turn on BoJack Horseman this season. It could be a really interesting, <laughs> interesting place for him to go, were it not for the great Brian Cranston. John Grimes, Cusack or Broderick, which now, would you gonna, have preferred? I'm going to take the opposite and go Cusack because I love him. And as dark as he has gotten and and done things, I would like to see him do some physical transformation, like go through the skinny bald cancer thing and then Mm. just see what he would have done with the actual darkness and not like gross point blank like oh i'm still john cusack but this time i have a gun like Mm -hmm. (laughs) see if he could really dig into something like that um broderick i i would just i like him too much i guess i don't know yeah broderick has almost too much of a baby face to pull off this role because cranston uh, this role was originally written for a 40 year old which kind of brings those choices of broderick and cusack a little more into focus here and when cranston was brought was brought on they changed it to 50 years old and i like that he's a little weathered and when he does when he does eventually he shaves the head right pretty sure mm-hmm. he shaves his head yeah so when he eventually shaves, oh yeah because you have that that famous scene where he comes out of the bathroom but when he shaves the head eventually i like seeing all those you know again that weathered face the weathered head in total all the wrinkles i, I enjoyed that i think broderick is just a little too young looking and he would look so strange with a bald head <laughs> he would look very very weird um so a little history here the hollywood reporter at the onset of the final season, they did kind of... It wasn't really an oral history, but it did dive... It, it nicely dove into a little of the process around the pilot. And I'll just pull out a few little facts. There's a lot there, but I'm going to pull out what I, what I feel is important. So they pitched this to Sony TV. And the two executives that were on the receiving end of Gilligan's presentation were, quote, dumbfounded. They said he was talking about a character who had no joy in his life. He had no special skills and was living a very mundane existence. Oh, and then he gets cancer. Jamie and I were looking for the hidden cameras in the room and trying to figure out what was happening. So this was no easy pitch, right? This is not an easy pitch whatsoever. Um, Of course, Gilligan's pitch is to take Mr. Chips and turn him into Scarface. That was spoken many times over the last couple seasons. Uh, Another network said that we love this story, but if we buy it, we're going to be fired. So eventually, (laughs) you know, it gets around to AMC and we're going to get to that in a second. And, um... I believe, yeah, it was Gilligan that said, they say, write what you know. And while I've never cooked or sold meth, I know what it feels like to be desperate. And Walt was desperate in the pilot, he noted, who spent time at the Riverside, California DEA office early on and remained in touch with drug agents. So I thought that was interesting considering he actually spent time with these individuals. So networks that passed on it. Showtime passed on it because they already had weeds. Seems like a Mm. poor choice in retrospect. (laughs) Yes. Um, TNT. You had your... Uh, your double hour of I know <laughs> middle, uh, suburb, suburban drug dealers. It could have yeah. been an entire block. Yeah, I know. It was weeds <laughs> 30 minutes or an hour. I was trying to remember this as I was doing the research because I've watched uh, like four seasons. It's sh- a half hour, correct? Sh- I believe it's a half hour. I think it's but... a half hour. Anyways, TNT passed on it. HBO passed on it. Um, the former because a more mainstream network couldn't center on a meth dealer. The latter because the exec- the execs in place at the time didn't envision it as a series. So FX um, started to develop this program. They purchased it first. Uh, they started to develop it around the same time as they were doing Courtney Cox's um, drama, which was called Dirt. Uh, so the network had three anti-hero dramas on the air already, and they wanted to get females. So they gave Dirt the order, considering it had the female lead, and they, they got rid of Breaking Bad. Again, uh, poor choice in retrospect, possibly. <laughs> I, I get the thinking. Of course, that show didn't last very long, but I do get the thinking, and I thought it was sure. noble of them to go in that direction. So AMC... Sure comes into the picture they kind of got to wait out um the prior networks that had purchased it but amc wasn't um 
<laughs> wasn't a uh, big deal at all at the time. They were not. Oh, they had Mad Men, but I believe it was like one season that had aired. And the AV Club review starts like this: After the towering achievement of Mad Men, third-rate movie channel AMC is suddenly a hot spot for serialized drama. Hmm. So it wasn't like AMC <laughs> again, third-rate movie channel. So it wasn't like they had any clout at all. But they get this. A um, couple more little. That's cat- a- Go ahead, Andrew. A backhanded compliment of a sentence, if I've ever heard one. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, a couple more casting things. Uh, not really casting what-ifs, but they thought Aaron Paul and R.J. Mitty, who play again Jesse Pinkman and Walter Jr., were too attractive or too much of pretty boys for their respective roles. So I thought that was interesting. And uh, the last little thing I want to mention, and I think I pulled one of these clips. I'm, it's so weird and so... <laughs> It's just a really bizarre clip, but I think I pulled one of these and put it in our notes, and I'll put it on the uh, the show page, is that the because of the subject matter, the PR team, quote, prepped a series of anti-drug PSAs to air during the show. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> and another thing that Cranston said on this um, idea of, since they're tackling such a rough subject and a drug that has destroyed so many lives, Cranston says that as a preventative measure in those montage cooking scenes, they would shoot the scenes out of order so that uh, people don't know how to make, so it didn't operate as like a how-to video. <laughs> so they would shoot steps out of order so that people couldn't like be following along with Breaking right. Bad and be like, okay, I'm going to crush that up next. And uh-huh. uh, <laughs> I'm so, put- so now I'm imagining like the pilot episode of Breaking Bad ending with Brian Cranston in like a, a tweed jacket going like you know we had a lot of fun tonight but meth is no laughing matter (laughs) i mean it's kind of close to that like uh, when you guys watch this clip it's cranston it says brian cranston underneath it says emmy winning actor breaking bad so i guess the this must have been one of the ones completed after he won for that first season and it's like i know i play a cook on tv and then it goes into like all these like cutscenes of like people suffering from the drug and so it, it kind of is close to what you're describing uh i think if that's... you keep this up the only crystal blue persuasion <laughs> you'll have to do is to a judge <laughs> uh one last little thing uh gilligan and this is a story that's obviously been passed around quite a bit but it's worth noting that gilligan first met cranston when cranston was in an x-files episode called drive so if you are a breaking bad head and you somehow have not seen drive um it's one of the standalone episodes so it's not like a big mythology x-files thing you don't have to watch 20 before that go find it it's a great cranston performance it's very well written and most of it is cranston and fox Mulder sitting in a car so it's obviously worth your time worthy very very worthy uh let's get into some title talk so andrew you have not been on the show before but we like to start every one of these episodes with um a little talk on the title sequence so what jumped out at you about the title sequence and uh what still resonates with you today having i assume seen it 64 times (laughs) at least (laughs) if not more uh the easy thing to point to is the, the font choice, that they include the periodic table of elements, have those sort of breaking out from the table and using it to spell out the actors' names. I think it, it speaks to the sort of visual style that the show has right out of the gate, it has this little distinctive thing that you don't think about immediately, but is always just sort of there at the bottom mm-hmm. of the screen throughout the early portion of the show to set it aside from just plain white text. Right, right. Yeah, the uh, you're, 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 of course, talking about taking elements from the title sequence and transitioning them into the actual credit um, the actual credit listings, you know, so when Aaron Paul shows up, they use the um, the double A, the capital A and lowercase a, you know, element symbol as a workaround in his name, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, I noted that as well. John, any any notes on the title sequence? Uh, twangy guitar, got to mention that <laughs> cool Southwestern <laughs> vibe like they uh, panned it on Portlandia. I think they covered it pretty well. Mm-hmm. So many shows adopted that after Breaking Bad. I believe that was one of the early twangy, shorter title sequences. But I like the, the periodic table as well. And I think, you know, all around pretty good. It's not the longest, but it's uh, it does its job. 
No, it's certainly not a long skip to um, program on Netflix. I don't think many people are going to be doing that. It is one don't of those. Don't really need to skip that. Yeah. It is one of those drops similar to like a halt and catch fire where they wait for that dramatic pause to kind of yes, insert it yes. in. And it's always a joy to find, to kind of be waiting for those first three, four, six, seven minutes to see when they're going to drop that, you know, that guitar twang. Or as it's actually um, the dobro, right? Which is like this guitar that's made out of metal and one that's very, very loud, right? Um, Andrew, did I cut you off? Did you have anything else to say about this? No, no. Okay. I, I would say it, it's interesting waiting for that guitar twang because there's almost this, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia like bit to it where you're waiting for mm-hmm. that to kind of punctuate the cold open. Yeah. Right? It creates yeah. A, a rhythm of the show. And I mean, some shows, like it's noticeable when shows do this well. Like Halt and Catch Fire had a, reputation of knowing when to drop that you know knowing when to hit people with the credit sequence and what line to end on and it's very much like a comedic timing beat style of editing that you need to master to be able to use this type of sequence and yeah obviously always sunny is one of the most fascinating and best examples of that so uh Dave Porter said about the Dobro that it's a fascinating instrument. Like I said, it's essentially a guitar made out of metal, and they're very loud by design. It has this quality that is very, very aggressive and could be played that way. The idea from Vince was always that the backbone of the story would be about Walter's deterioration or transformation from Mr. Chips to Scarface. What I wanted to do with the theme, actually, was to give a little taste of not necessarily where Walter was in the pilot, but where the story is going and where Walter is going to be at the end of the whole adventure. And I found that very, very interesting that Porter was very much looking towards the end in the construction of the beginning. You know, and I think when the when this sequence makes its appearance in later episodes, hell, even the finale, or of course the famous, um, is it the penultimate? Is that the one before the finale? Yes, right? yeah. The penultimate, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Again, it's obvious. It fits right in there in terms of tone, right? And so it works that he was thinking of the end because at the end, it's it's a sorely needed guitar twang. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's um, it's more of a villain theme than it is a theme that fits yeah. Walter White when we meet him here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so a little bit of IMDb trivia. Of course, the great IMDb, we don't know how reliable it is, but according to that... The Wikipedia of Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I don't even think they need to source like Wikipedia does. So they say, in the very beginning of the opening credits, the formula and molecular weight for methamphetamine, uh, C10, H15N, and 149.24 flash on the screen. So apparently there's some reference to methamphetamine and its construction. All right, let's move on. And we're going to kind of go through these categories. So if you've listened to Pilot Study a ton before, we're kind of introducing some new categories here. We're not going to go uh, plot beat by plot beat, but we think by going through these categories, you'll get the entire gist of the episode. And you'll kind of know, again, what stands out. So we're going to go straight to Pilot Study MVP, which is something we usually save for the end. But I want to jump right into it, and I want to use it to explore this episode. So Grimes, who is your Pilot Study MVP and why? My MVP for this particular pilot uh, would be Jesse Pinkman, Aaron Mm, Paul. That's an interesting choice. Not one of, I mean, you wouldn't show people this episode as like the Jesse Pinkman, you know, kind of role. No, no. And it wasn't even written to be a role. I think long term, that's another great uh, part of the Breaking Bad mythology is that he was, this was going to be a shorter thing, but. He was just so good that mm-hmm. uh, can't kill him. they kept him around. <laughs> yeah. So I just think he had, again, I love that this show for as dramatic and dark as it gets. And I mean, I don't know of a show that gets more dramatic or darker. Um, he is so many times the much needed comic relief. And he does that right away by just like falling out the window, basically, and running around. You know, he just doesn't have a shit together. It kind of does a good job i think of showing the grounding sensibility of pinkman like a little bit of innocence even though he is like in the drug game he's clearly not really equipped to handle the ins and outs of it by himself so i just i don't know mm-hmm. i like the way it set up his character and uh you know i thought it was pretty good so his introduction 
I was gonna ask this late. I was gonna ask this later, and it seems like a strange question, all things considered, and considering how much we have to talk about. So the woman comes out topless on Netflix. Did that was that part of the episode on AMC? Could they show a chest on AMC? Probably not. Like, did anybody Why? else notice this? I was very shocked that that was that that showed up because I I did not remember that at all. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about it, but yeah, it's a good question. So my my understanding is that the hour long pilot that is on Netflix and DVDs and that uh, sort of thing is extended from the forty five uh, minute version that aired okay. on AMC. That gotcha. So like when uh, I, I don't want to set off any bleeps here, but when Walt says F you Bogdan, that was I believe bleeped on AMC and there were other things that they cut out mm. for that reason. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. Um, Andrew, besides uh, being our fountain of inform- of censorship information and extended editions, <laughs> who is your pilot study MVP? It's such an obvious choice, but I cannot help but say Brian Cranston. He is He's amazing just in this episode. so good in this. It, it takes such a it's such a fine line to show somebody at the lowest point in their life at the weakest point of their life and give the hint of transformation knowing that you are going to have to do at least a season's worth of further steps along that path and not give it away at the front i think he is tremendous in this episode at showing hints of what white uh, walter white might be of things that are lurking inside him but that have not quite made it to the surface yet or are just barely peeking through and mm-hmm. I, I think the the scene that does the best at this is when he gets his cancer diagnosis and skylar asks him how his day was and he stops for a moment shrugs and says it was a normal day but there's just this sort of twinkle in Walter White's eye of how he is still hurt and still processing these things, but trying not to let it show. It's just a, a really great moment from the script and from Cranston and from the show all just sort of coming together. Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, he won the Emmy for this season, which was, uh, I mean, I, ha- I have to look it up at eight episodes, seven episodes. I can't quite remember how many they got in. In this first season, of course, it doesn't number them. One, two, three, four, five, six. I mean, it's a seven-episode season, and he took home the Emmy. So he kind of had to hit the ground running, you know, to uh, <laughs> make that kind of an impact in such a short period of time. And yeah, I mean, he's he's excellent in this episode. Um, mine is actually Skylar, and this is one I did not expect. This is an opinion I did not expect to have, but I think <laughs> she's excellent here. Um, Much-needed levity. She can deliver a joke. And it's not really the, and like, obviously Hank provides humor and levity, but his is so, such like of a blustering nature, you know? Right, Skylar right. Skylar is very quiet and she's subdued, but she has this lightness that I think is really, really needed within this episode. You know, she has that great joke um, in the hand job scene where she yells about hitting like a certain mark on eBay, right? Um, <laughs> she has that great joke and kind of this uh, rubbing of the chin when she responds to Walt Walt Jr. who's complaining about the shower being cold, like maybe you should get up early. You know, she's like, she's ha- she has the best um, collection of mom jokes a mom could have, you know? Yeah. She has that great response when Marie offers to help her edit her book and she just goes, no. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm not in a, a, the right place for it, but, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I love that it's a collection of short stories. There's nothing more like drama writer room than a character who loves short stories you know it just <laughs> it just was funny um and then there's i mean she's just a professional here doing a professional job there's nothing flashy but she delivers in every single scene in in this thankless role and there's tons of craziness going on around her and she'll have this scene like where she's talking to a person that seems to be collecting payments or a loan and that's as interesting and intriguing regarding the family's narrative as Walter White cooking meth. At least it's as intriguing to me because the show is so much about a middle-class family and trying to make do and trying to send their kid to college and, you know, doing all this stuff. And all she's doing is talking about a missed payment, and I was in, you know? And it sucks that she got turned into, like, this public villain for this show for some reason. And I think there's a lot of Mm -hmm. other stuff going on with social media that led to that. You know, and I think we can all guess what that what those feelings are. But um, she's consistently this good. So there's no reason she should have turned into that villain. Um, 
So the next category we have here is something I'm calling Let's Set the Table. All right, and this is the scene in the pilot that is most designed to say set the stakes of the series, you know, and so this could be a scene that talks about the themes, or sets up a certain character relationship that you know is going to be growing. And obviously, we won't spoil future developments, but we will be talking about these scenes in regards to what did they set up, you know, and how did they set the stakes. So, Andrew, how are how did this episode set the table for you? So I think it, the way that the episode sets the table most clearly and most directly is the scene where Walt is talking with Jesse and Jesse asks him why he's doing this. Mm. And that's the big question at the end of the day is why would somebody who is in the position that Walter White is make this drastic life change, basically remake himself and, and do everything he can to take a left turn from where his path in life was going? Mm. Jesse asks if he's crazy, if he's depressed, if this is some sort of weird midlife crisis, and I guess in a way it is. <laughs> and all that Walt says to him is, I am awake. It's setting the premise for the show for this season, certainly, and I would argue over the course of the series, Walter White has been sleepwalking through his life for a very long time. And it takes something as drastic and unsettling as a cancer diagnosis to reignite a spark within him that causes him to do things he would never have even considered doing 24 hours before. Right. That's a good and, choice. And, what, and, and I guess what's so striking about it for me is that it's so pitched as almost this, this very commendable reawakening in him right here. There's this thing that's lying, laid dormant for so long that he is summoning once more, and you're, you're excited about that, little realizing where that is going to lead him as the, the series winds on. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's paired that feeling and that it's not uneasiness at this point. It is like you don't know how noble of a cause it is. It's paired with this idea that he can finally like have sex with his wife, right? And he can finally please her. And, and in that way, it's like this positive ending um, regarding that development and that he is bringing this positive energy and drive home, you know? And I think that's such a... I think it's kind of a bizarre way to end the episode, but thematically it works perfectly along with what you're talking about here is why are you doing this? Um, is it actually for your family or is it just something that has awakened within yourself? Um, John, how do you think they set the table here? What was the one scene that you pulled out? Yeah, that was really hard because, you know, having watched this thing probably four times all the way through now, you just think, oh, yeah, that, that. And then the more times you watch the pilot, of course, you say, oh, I remember that now. And then this goes to that. But one scene, I guess if I had to pick one that I thought said it well, was when you see Walt pushing the barrel by himself and struggling in the car wash because barrels are a thing. And oh, he, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> and he worries about them a lot. And he often is with them alone in very desperate situations where he's in physical and mental anguish and he's at his breaking point. Um, and so noticing that in the pilot and seeing him stumble over that barrel and uh, that kind of, to me, was just like, yeah, this guy, I don't know. He's, it just comes back a lot. And mm -hmm. I think that that really hit me when I was watching it again. Well, it's certainly where he quite literally hides his skeletons at times. Yes. <laughs> Many times barrels just come up in the series and it's, it, it's yeah. never great. <laughs> where much of his work is based. Um, I was going to leave the chemistry scene for one of you guys. I, I Take mean, it. Obviously, the chemistry scene is maybe the most... It's not literal, I guess, but maybe like the greatest explanation of a show's future themes that a pilot has ever accomplished. And I haven't seen every pilot, you know, known to man, but, and that's the purpose of this podcast, obviously, but <laughs> we won't stop until we're done <laughs> <laughs> to spell out each and every one of the show's themes in a two minute scene which also takes place within the setting which also has this moment with chad that pushes character development within walter white obviously the chemistry scene is everything you've been told it is and i'll just instead of going deeper into it because i have another scene i'll just play it for people right here chemistry is well technically 
Chemistry is the study of matter. But I prefer to see it as the study of change. Now, just, just think about this. Electrons, they change their energy levels. Molecules, molecules change their bonds. Huh? Elements, they combine and change into compounds. Well, that's, that's all of life, right? I mean, it's just, it's the constant, it's the cycle, it's solution, this solution just over and over and over. It is growth, then decay, then transformation. It is fascinating, really. Um, but I'm going to go with the ambulance scene. So you have yeah. this mention of insurance and him being so quick to state that he doesn't have anybody to call. Those are kind of the two key moments of him in the ambulance. And I want to start with the insurance. He just says, I just don't have the greatest insurance. And there's a reason this show mm -hmm. became so pertinent in its back half. And it, start, it started with mentions like that, talking about bad insurance, which as a teacher, he should have better insurance, but that's beside the point, I guess. That's just a teacher complaint. Um, <laughs> the strife of the middle <laughs> class, you know, uh, this new baby possibly breaking the family, that addition coming in and being too much for a family to bear, you know, and yeah. him being so quick not to want to call anybody. I think that is the stubbornness that really comes to define his character. It's this idea that only he is capable of solving a problem. Like a normal person with his head on straight would have got a cancer diagnosis, went home, told his wife, and they would have had a discussion about how we approach this. How right. we do how do we set the family up for success in the future? You know, how do we approach this as a team? But instead he is he has this inherent selfishness and he believes his intelligence is so much higher than those around him that he is really the only one that he can trust. And so I thought that was a key scene really on the Cranston front and that middle class kind of um, dynamics that the show plays so well in. I say it's interesting because I, I think I read his desire not to call anybody a little differently. Okay. I, I do think it comes from a place of Walt's pride, but less in his, I guess, selfishness or self-determination. I, I read it more as... He, Walt is pitied by every single person in his life, and his will is disregarded by everyone in his life. And I think he is worried that if he reveals this to the people in his orbit, it will be seen as just one more weakness or yeah. one yeah. more method for people to look down on him and tell him what he should be doing or should have been doing that he isn't. And it's a big one, too, where Skyler and everyone would be telling him, because they already treat him like shit and tell him what to do, and his life is just a series of getting bossed around, pretty much. Not so much in the pilot with Skyler, but... Um, yeah, I mean, but you there, know, there, is that moment, there is that moment where he coughs, and she asks if he's taken whatever it is he's supposed to take. So imagine, I mean, maybe he sees that and says, well, that's going to be... You know, then my whole he would life, have, he you know? would lose all of his agency, and I think he yeah. already felt yeah. like he had in life, and then yeah, this is why he okay. literally broke him. You know, yeah, I, I, I can I can go with that explanation as well. Um, our next one, and this is this is an optional one. We don't have to nominate <laughs> anybody for this one, but uh, it's, one. it's it is the Hall of Tropes, and uh, this is if we have any. Uh, any trope characters that are introduced in these pilot episodes, we're going to bring them up here. So if we have a kooky neighbor or the cute dork or the <laughs> down-on-his-time cop, you know, the alcoholic cop, uh, you name them and then give us the character if there is one. So I'll go first, and I, I think Hank fits. I know he gets a lot more to do as the series goes on and as developments take place. He becomes one of my favorite characters um, in this episode. And I really don't think Dean Norris has got a role that's fit his talents since then, which no. has been kind of disappointing because I think he's really, <laughs> really good in this show. But he is the kind of the hawkish police officer. He's showing off his gun. He's popping the bullet out. He's making fun of Walt because he thinks it's heavy. You know, um, I think Walter is just too complicated for any trope. I think Skylar, yeah. again, he, she gets enough um, that she avoids trope territory. And I think even Walt Jr. has moments of depth. So I'm going to put uh, I'm going to put Hank in there. I don't know if he's Hall of Tropes worthy, but he is, you know, the gun heavy police officer. So he might not uh, be first ballot, but he's up there. He's up there. Mm -hmm. He'd be in a he'd he'd have to get elected in. I think uh, Grimes, what do you think? 
I actually said uh, Marie was uh, the kooky sister-in-law trope. I, I okay. compared her in my mind to Aunt Jackie from Roseanne. <laughs> Because uh, sometimes she's comic relief, other times you're like, oh my god, I hate this character with a passion, please leave the show soon. For me, anyway. Huh. But in the pilot, I thought they set her up as a little bit like, I thought I'm she gonna was, be... I thought she was more just straight up cold. That's what That's the vibes I got. Yeah, but even though like trying to intrude on like the book thing and be like, I can help you with everything. I know she kind of is, in her own way, she acts towards Skylar how Hank... Um, acts towards Walt, a little bit condescending, mm. like our sh- we have our shit together. You guys are like pitied and stuff. I th- I thought she was a little bit um, for this episode, a little trope. Like again, maybe not a straight to the top uh, example, but not a not a first ballot Hall of Famer. But yeah, I thought she was a little <laughs> bit kooky for for pilot reasons, maybe. Okay, okay, Andrew. Any characters that fall into these categories? So I'll go a little controversial here. Okay. I think that. Skyler is a bit too much of the trope of the nagging wife here. Yeah, there uh, there is that. It does exist. You're not you're not off base here. And you you have Anna Gunn, who is a great actress and capable of finding interesting layers in that. And, and I think coming back to the pilot, one of the things that was most notable for me and most interesting to me is how Skyler and Hank and Marie are all such flatter characters in the beginning than they become. And I think that actually works to the series' strengths, is you have this idea of who everybody is right now, and gradually that is going to change, and you're going to get to know them a lot better and see sides of them and shades of them that aren't present here. But there's a lot of of stuff that kind of made me cringe a little bit with Skylar in the pilot okay. along those tropey lines. So, again, I don't think we have anybody overly in that category, um, but we, we do have a few characteristics here. So the next one we're going to do is the most piloty moment. So this is <laughs> the moment that either, either has heavy exposition, um, characters explaining things they normally wouldn't in normal conversation. Like, what moment in this pilot do you guys most acknowledges i am a pilot recognize me you know i am the first episode of a tv show and i have things to do andrew what was your most piloty moment the most piloty moment for me was hank's toast to walt yeah that's what i picked as well yeah it, it seemed like the most sort of summing up in case you haven't gotten it in the previous five much more subtle scenes i'm going to sort of sum up in one speech how everybody feels about white uh, Walter White and looks at Walter White and thinks of Walter White. Yeah, I agree. Um, John, any any other scene or are you on the, the toast one as well? Uh, I said the big house scene. Yeah, like the whole, yeah. all the characters all the characters are in one room, watch us interact, let us mm-hmm. ex, exposit or ex, whatever, explain everything like you said. Yeah. Party, party scenes are a great, a great excuse to do all this stuff. Yep. There's actually not a from what I understand, there's not a party scene in the script that I'm going to talk about in a little bit that's from like 2005, I think. I'll have to, I'll have to find the date. But uh, there is an Applebee's scene. They go to Applebee's instead. Yes. So. <laughs> get, get some Friday of that, Night Lights connection. Yeah, get some of that product placement going. Um, like I said, this is a good pilot, so it's not like a crazy offender. Um, but Hank, again, he does mention that he's Walt's brother-in-law, in case you haven't made that connection. Um, Anna Gunn does say that Marie is her sister. Like Things like that occur in this pilot, in this uh, party setting that really, again, hammers home some of those connections if you had not obtained them by now, you know. Um Last one, last little category, and then we'll kind of just do some more random talk, is uh, name change. So yeah. a lot of these are called pilot, you know, but uh, I thought it would be fun if we, we could possibly, you know, now that it's within the greater catalog of Breaking Bad episodes, if it needs a title change. And I think yeah. we can all agree that pilot is not the greatest episode for a title, <laughs> or the greatest episode title for... Um, Let's dig deep here, guys. <laughs> ...an episode of TV. So I think we can do a little bit better. And I kind of went with... I kind of bounced around a couple. I, I I can't pronounce it, 
but uh, the reservation, the area that their first cook takes place in. Yeah. That was kind of my first thought, but that's actually an episode title later on in the series. It's like episode, it's like season four. They title it that. Um, so well, that, that confirms that it's a good choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, I, sh- I should have been in that writer's room. Uh, no. <laughs> um, so the one I picked was the joke one I had was wipe down this. That's the line uh, <laughs> Cranston says when he grabs his crotch. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I had fifty, just the number fifty. You have that iconic image of the bacon. Um, and everyone believes that throughout the episode, everybody is believing that Walt's age is the reason behind him acting weird. Like he's yeah, going wow. through some midlife mm-hmm. crisis, you know? So maybe if we titled a 50, it would be this kind of ironic um, hint at the fact that nobody understands what he's going through and that uh, his situation is far more dire than uh, turning 50. So uh, wow, yeah. that's what I, I picked. Like I like uh, that. Andrew, what do you think? So I went with reaction, which is oh. probably a little on the nose, but I like the sort of uh, double entendre of the chemical reaction idea that he's talking about, but it's also his reaction to this news and event in his life. Mm. Yes. Levels. I like that. I like that. Grimes? Uh, I had two, again, leaning towards my MVP, Jesse down Pinkman. This? <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> Besides the obvious, wipe down this. Wipe down this! Um, I like Captain Cook. I was I was gonna say I had one written down that was the captain. That was my the other. That was another one I cool. thought of. Yeah. Um, and I also thought Chili P was pretty. Like when mm. he goes, Chili P is my secret. <laughs> I just the way he says Chili P, like he can't be bothered to say powder. Come on. Uh, the um, ep- the episode titles in this season are actually because I was looking at them kind of to get inspiration. They're strange. The second one is titled Cats in the Bag. The third one is titled And There's Bags in the River, or And the Bags in the River. Number f- <laughs> number four is called Cancer Man. Number five is Gray Matter. Number six, Crazy Handful of Nothing. And then the, the season finale is called A No Rough Stuff Type of Deal, which yeah. it must, must be a line from that episode, but... You know, as they go on, the season enders usually have these like super epic titles. Like the the season two finale is called ABQ, um, Albuquerque, obviously. Uh, season three is let's see, Full Measure. I mean, that's a classic episode yeah, title. Yeah. Number four is Face Off. I mean, these are just all like complete classics. And number five is Felina. So I mean, every single one other than. This one has like classic status, basically. But all of ours would have a... still fit. Yeah, go ahead, Andrew. So can I make a last minute suggestion? Sure. Of cow house. Cow house. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. That is a really good one, and that seems yeah. along the lines of Gilligan's humor. I like that one. Right. I think cow I th- house. I think, yeah. I think that could work. <laughs> um, yeah, that is actually that's awesome. Yeah. Wow. I have a few. So I read the script. It was, I can't remember where exactly I found it. It was some university website. It was a .edu. And let me see if I can actually get the date. Hold on. Breaking Bad pilot script. Because it's like the first one. So it should take me just a second to find it. It is from uh, May of 2005. So this this is three years from when the, from when the show would actually air. Probably two years from production. So the first description of Walter White, 40 years old, like we said, thus them going a little younger in their previous offers. Receding hairline, a bit pasty. Sounds like Matthew Broderick. So far, he's not a guy who makes a living working with his hands. He's not a guy we pay attention to if we passed him on the street. But right now, at this moment, in this pasture, right now, we'd step the fuck out of his way. So that is how we first describe Walter White. Um, There's a location change. So... The script that I read, it's set in Ontario, California, the Inland Empire, which is very, very odd. Very, very odd. <laughs> um, you just think of New Mexico when you think of this show. Um, I Again, IMDb trivia, so take this with a grain of salt, but they stated that there were certain tax breaks that they could get in New Mexico that they could not get in California or something like that. There's something along mm. those lines where they wanted to do it. The show was originally planned to take place in Riverside, California, but was moved to New Mexico because the state offered an attractive tax rebate on production. So it seems like they they still huh. wanted to do California, which is just crazy to me. 
Yeah, well, the Inland Empire looks just like that, so hmm. maybe if they were going for that weird desert look, and it's probably cheaper to shoot there, but... Yeah, I don't I just I think... Want... Go ahead, Andrew. I say, I wonder if it was he specifically set it there to try to make it easier to pitch, to say, hey, uh, since yeah. everything is shot in California anyway, I'm already right. setting it in California, so you don't have to worry about trying to make it look like, you know... Philadelphia or right. Toronto like, or wherever else. <laughs> right. Like the scenes in the office where they're driving around Scranton, PA, and there's palm trees and mountains in the background. <laughs> exactly. Uh, there is a there is another character in the script that is... I don't think she's ever brought back because I looked up the name and it... Anyways, I'm getting off track. There's a Margaret character in the script that Walt uh, like teaches with, works at the school, and he clearly has a crush on her. And it's clearly like this sexual tension type of thing, which is strange given that, you know, Skylar eventually thinks that um, he's cheating on her and that's kind of the reason he's acting so weird. Um, and so that, that was a little bit of a, of a surprise that there was this character that Walt kind of had a, a little bit of a crush on. And she shows up a couple times. This isn't like a one scene type of deal. She definitely shows up a couple times. Um, another interesting little segment here is this let me just read the scene to you guys skylar sips her white wine marie stares at her marie you're it, it's okay to drink skylar says after the first trimester yes it was even in newsweek marie well i didn't see that <laughs> that's a pretty weird exchange right skylar's drinking while pregnant doesn't understand that would that certainly is different than the characterization we see right yeah <laughs> that is um, different. Jesse Jesse is not called Jesse in this version. He is named Marion Allen Dupree, which <laughs> again is odd. A wow. white gawky early twenties, picture a hip shaggy from Scooby Doo. This is the description from the script. His sneakers come tumbling from the window, nearly hitting him in the head. Above him, a naked housewife leans out, boobs dangling, frantically tossing him his jeans, his socks, his Cypress Hill t shirt. So it's basically the same look, but he had this very um, strange name, you know, and he'd be called Dupree instead of Pinkman in the script and all this stuff. So, uh, uh, yeah, there's, it's an odd, it's an odd draft of the script to kind of be the first, the first Google result. Like, and this is from uh, Drexel. That's the university that has it out there. And if you like go to like, if you go to Reddit where they have all the Breaking Bad scripts, that's the link they use. So you figure at this point they would have like an official shooting script out there but that's the one that's the one i found um with all those weird little ticks to it that didn't end up making it then there's stuff in there that makes it to future episodes um like a scene at a museum which is where he passes out in that script and it's not at work you know um there's, there's a couple other things nothing too worth mentioning but yeah there's some some interesting parts to it that's all i'll say it was de it's definitely a worse show in that script than it ends up being so they made some positive changes um any any random notes anything that we didn't talk about andrew that you were itching to talk about and just didn't fit any of our categories i'd say the one thing that really uh, stood out to me that i wasn't expecting revisiting the pilot is how much the episode frames Walter's transformation in terms of his masculinity. Mm. I'm not sure that really washed over me in the same way, but you have him... Uh, obviously, there's the scene uh, in bed with Skylar where she's you know, giving him his birthday treat and things are very awkward and he's not able to respond in the moment. Uh, you have him handling Hank's gun and saying it's heavy and then Hank says, well, that's why they hand them to men. Uh, all, all these ways in which Walter is not just powerless, but emasculated. Yeah. And then after this, he <clears throat> resorts to these typically manly things like physical violence. And obviously at the end, sleeping with his wife in a sort of particularly dominating way that I think, I, I don't know. It's interesting because to my mind, at least as it goes on, Walter White kind of becomes this symbol of toxic masculinity and so it's interesting to see this transformation just in the course of the pilot and how they use those tropes, for lack of a better term, to signify what his transition is in terms of masculinization. Yeah, I was, gra I was I'm glad you brought up the, the it kind of manifesting itself within physical violence, because that scene in the store is overly brutal in a number of ways. You know, he 
it looks like he he's like going to break the kid's leg in some way you know yeah, he, in front of his wife and kid too he in just, front of like, his wife and kids on what i would assume to be security cameras he assaults this child and it's played as this big triumphant moment for waltz of like i'm finally being a man when really it's assault you know no matter how much they're making fun of your son right. you know for his disability it it, it, it is a little strange that it's played as such a victory when really it's kind of a sad moment for this respect respectable character, you know. I, I respect him. I respect him as a teacher and as an intelligent man, and obviously his family doesn't, but there's things to respect there that kind of drift away. Yeah, and I think it, it, it also sets up, like, in the beginning of these anti-hero series like Mad Men, Sopranos, and this, of course, being, I think, the best three, you know, the pinnacle of those type of characters mm-hmm. on, on television. In the early part, they're establishing that they they want you to root for Walt. So kicking that kid's ass, we do see it as this, oh, he's not taking any shit anymore. People are going to make fun of his kid. He's kicking ass. Like, that's kind of... <laughs> That he does become toxic, but at first, just the same as like Skylar, we love all of these people so much in the beginning. And in this, obviously, this is the pilot. So they're establishing, like, yes, these are people who are pulling up their bootstraps and they're saying, fuck the man and fuck cancer. We're going to just do whatever. So it does set this tone that it's good. And then later, yes, it breaks bad, if you will. But. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very much like if I don't know if Andrew you've seen the guest before, but there's this yeah, yeah. The, the scene in the bar is the one I'm referencing where, again I I believe like one of the people he's staying with are getting made fun of and he resorts to like physical violence, but that's because he's like a super soldier guy with obvious emotional deficiencies and like you know that's the kind of move walter white's pulling is like i'm the terminator all of a sudden and i can't rationalize as a human being in this scenario i'm gonna hurt somebody it's one of those moments that is so fist pump worthy when you're watching it and then you stop and think about it and go oh god (laughs) wait that's horrible it's a lure it lures you in and and yep makes you in some ways complicit with Walter White's journey and transformation. Because you want to follow him the whole series, so you got to like him. you got to really mm-hmm. establish those bonds like, early. Yeah. There's actually another, a more subdued moment that I thought was just him being a dick, and that is in the classroom when he asks if um, anybody knows what chemistry is the study of. And a kid raises his hand, and he meekly says, chemicals, right? And in the script that I read, it's it's played very much as like he's being sarcastic. But the performance of the kid in this episode, in the actual episode, is like I said, very meek. And he's actually mm-hmm. submitting an answer. And Walt just goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> he's like frustrated and he like totally blows up the kid's spot. Like if that was me and like if a student answers something incorrectly in my classroom, even on the college level... I very much attempt to pull something out of what they said that's true, you know, and at least to use something they said in their response to build to the right response, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, well, not exactly. Let's see if we can get closer, you know? So the fact that he was so dismissive of the student's answer, when again, he was just being honest, that's what he thought it was, (laughs) and it kind of is, you know? It's not just some, like super stuck up answer like he had right um where he's marking out the show's themes and everything sorry kid in the front row didn't know what breaking bad was going to be about but it is it's you a, didn't know you were in a pilot <laughs> it's, a, it's a dick yeah. move you know and uh i don't know that rubbed me the wrong way and again that might have yeah. been revisiting and we're in a different environment now and i don't know maybe breaking bad doesn't does breaking bad play as well as it did in 2008 i'm not sure it's hard to say. I don't know. I don't. I guess I'd have to rewatch the whole thing, but there's elements that don't play well here. Um, let's go into some reviews. So I usually pull out a few reviews from the time of the release of the pilot. And Donna Bauman, she wrote for the AV Club, and uh, I thought this was a funny little tidbit she put in there. Breaking Bad is a horrible, horrible name for a TV show. It's not made <laughs> any better by being included and explained in an actual line of dialogue from the show. She says, Cranston's nihilistic performance, though, remains pure and uncut. Um, his hulking yet impotent screen presence is a solution of one part Matthew Broderick in election, I bolded that, and two parts Michael Douglas in falling down. 
I don't really think I don't really think it's falling down. I think it's more election. But uh, she says it's rough, it's ugly, and it's sometimes nauseating. I can't wait to see more. So Barry Guerin, who was writing for the Hollywood Reporter, said uh, that said, give Gilligan credit for a pilot written mostly as one long flashback that is suspenseful and surprising. Cranston is always fun to watch. Um, what's more, a strong supporting cast suggests there's a lot of room for this series to grow. The New York Times, they were referencing themes right off the bat that we obviously talked about years later, and they said the gloom is understandable. The economy and the political landscape today are weighed down with the steady lowering of middle-class expectations. The young know better than to assume that they will be better off than their parents, while the old cling to the railing fearful of falling beyond the reach of pensions and social security payments. But they say at the end, it's the pacing that makes Breaking Bad more of a hard slog than a cautionary joyride. So they were not sold on it at that point. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Do we have anything else today? Grimes, am I missing anything? Um, I don't know that you're missing anything. There's really so much here, and this is such a big, iconic cultural TV show. It's hard to cover everything, of course. But I am missing I just... one thing. I'm missing our IMDb game that we're going to play. All right. So, uh, Andrew, we have an IMDb game. We call it From Top to Bottom. And uh, if you have the IMDb screen up, I ask that you close it. But uh, I assume assume you do not. Um, I do not. uh, So the game's pretty simple. We try to guess as many of the top five IMDb credits as you possibly can. All right. So we have five credits here. Who do you think is listed first? It's got to be Cranston, right? It is Cranston. Yes, it is. Um, actually, I explained the game a little bit wrong. It's the IMDb credits of the entire series. So IMDb, oh, okay. IMDb ranks um, credits by how many episodes the actors appeared in. All right. Hmm. So uh, Cranston's still number one. So you're still in there. And actually, I think it's the same. For this case, it's the same top five. It's not always that case. But for this one, it is the same top five. So who do you have at number two? So the big question is whether it's going to be Jesse or it's going to be Skyler. Um, that is the question. I'm going to go with, with Aaron Paul because I think he's probably in more episodes. He is not. Both are in all uh, 62. Anna Gunn makes an appearance uh, in all 62, which surprises me given Fly is a Breaking Bad episode. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. That's interesting. But yeah, so she goes number two, Aaron Paul goes number three, and then we've got uh, we've got the Schraders, four and five, but do you want to take a guess on the order? I would guess Dean Norris and then Betsy Brandt. But uh, you are correct. Check. You are correct. Dean right, Norris is fourth, right. Betsy Brandt is fifth. Again, 62 episodes. Um, again, is there not... Like, I'm thinking of the ones at the end. I feel like IMDb is fucking this one up because I'm thinking at, like, the uh, like the one where Walt's just in the woods at some point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, towards the very, very end. That doesn't seem like one that yeah, Betsy where Brandt showed up yeah. at. Yeah. I, don't, that's, I don't know about or the this one where they, they <laughs> We're going to need to do a deep dive rewatch on this thing. <laughs> I think IMDb is screwing this one up. So. It's probably that she's, she's probably credited in each of the... 62 episodes. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Appear in them. That's probably. Yeah, it. I think that's what it is. Like, um, by the time we get down to the non 62ers, we have Bob Odenkirk, 43. Um, Gomez, who appears in this pilot, is at 34. Um, Ermin Trout, 28. And Gus Fring, 26. So, uh, Better Call Saul is the second ranked beyond the core family. Uh, I think uh, I think we're all good. That's it for this episode of Pilot Study. Um, you can dive into our archives over at pilotstudypod.fireside.fm, or you can head on over to modern-vinyl.com. A big thanks to Andrew for joining us today. Yes, thanks, man. Andrew, what would you Thank like? Thank you to, very much for having me. What would you like to plug? I know you wrote something about Breaking Bad that you're going to publish after or around when this podcast goes up. So plug that along with your blog and any of the writing that's coming up on Consequence of Sound. Well, you, again, thank you guys very much for having oh, me. No this problem. You're great. It's great. Uh, you can. You're right. I've written a uh, a review of this pilot episode, and you can find it and links to all of my writing from all across the web at my website, which is theandrewblog.net. It's three words, 
theandrewblog.net. Uh, you can also find new expanded TV coverage at Consequence of Sound for everything from uh, Bob's Burgers to The Good Place to The Americans and uh, everything beyond. So check that out. And you can also find me on Twitter at the Andrew Blog. Again, three words: the Andrew Blog. I want to say Very that cool. I am almost done with the second to last season of The Americans. I'm almost caught up. I'm excited for the for the uh, final season. I'm sure you are as well. Are we Are we ever going to get the podcast uh, the week according to Andrew? You know, where you just <laughs> you take a piece of pop culture and you you go you deep dive it. You know, you get you got to keep well, you got to keep the moniker uh, trademark going if you're going to do a podcast. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Maybe maybe that should be in the offing. <laughs> I, I may leave the podcast game to the the people who are better at it, like you guys. <laughs> uh, Grimes, what do you want to? How can people glimpse your life? What's you the wanna, What's the preferred method these days? If you want a piece of my life, check it out at uh, Grimes John Instagram and Twitter. I guess if you're really curious. I think people are curious. They hear I got you. Got a and cute they, dog. You do have a cute dog. Um, what's the name again? I always I always mix it up with uh, my other friend's dog who has the same breed named Forrest. I know that's not your dog's name. Oh yeah, my dog's name is Marley. Marley. I always forget that. I don't know why. Jesus. Well, you're I'm a, a movie. I'm a bad friend. all right thank you guys very much again pilotstudypod.fireside.fm oh one more thing at pilotstudypod on twitter thank you guys very much i'm not a meth dealer i just play one on tv it's a character i've chosen to portray but if you decide to use meth it could be the last choice you ever get to make And that's the premise behind Pilot Study. Oh, bummer. <laughs>